Hey everybody, welcome to episode 165 of the Masterclass. My name is still Cam, his name is still Dave, and we're still really happy to be here. How are you, sir? I am wonderful. How are you? I am somewhere closer to okay, but that's uh, okay. That's, that's yeah, That is okay, yes. It's been a... Things have changed since we last recorded in my life. Yes. In a permanent way. Yes. Well, I mean, who knows? Currently, they're permanent. But right. I have crazy thoughts sometimes. That was very cryptic. We've mentioned this before on the podcast, and I'm always an open book. Uh, <laughs> we mentioned, I don't know, maybe two or three episodes ago, my wife moved out in November. It is now July. Um, and she wanted a divorce, and she got it. To my dismay, disappointment, um, other words like that. So that went through eight days ago, and the one thing that my lawyer didn't tell me, Dave, mm-hmm. is that there would be about 20 complete strangers in the courtroom watching it happen. All the other people that were on the docket for the next hour, you know, to have their cases Mm -hmm. heard and all of their lawyers. And so I, you know, I showed up and we went through the paperwork and all that garbage. And then she's like, okay, we're up, come into the courtroom. And I walk in and it's not a very big room. Um, So they have certain seats blocked off because, I mean, it's not big. We have to maintain our distance and all that stuff. And. Yeah, there's like 20 people in the room just watching. And like there's a microphone where you're standing and then speakers where everyone's sitting. So it's like everything is crystal clear. And I was like, you have got to be kidding. It was uh, uh, not great. And then later that day, I took my daughter out for, she rides her bike and I ride my one wheel. And I crashed in the parking lot really, really, really bad and cut up my arm and my ankle and my leg. And I went from going like 15 or 16 miles an hour to straight into the asphalt (laughs) in about a half a second. And so, yeah, so last Monday sucked real, real, real hard. Um, And we actually intended to record that. We intended to record that day too about the passage we're talking about tonight. But um not not just those circumstances, but other circumstances as well dictated that we only had about 20 minutes to chat and then we had to, to move on. Um, so I'm thinking perhaps God was looking out for us last week. Like maybe he knew that was enough it's just personally for me to for... handle in one day. Sure. Um, not that this is about me, um, but, you know, I am a part of it. So that has a little bit to do with it. Yes. Yeah, so what I really want to know is, is have you gotten on the... Uh the horse gotten back on your horse again to oh, prevent your fear. Yeah. From... I, I lit, I, I crashed. I was, I was within 20 yards of my front door. <laughs> I was in the church parking lot. We were coming home. My daughter's behind me and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go fast one last time. And I just went too fast, too quick. And I, I ate it so bad. And Kennedy, my daughter started crying because you know, Daddy just, you know, had a come to Jesus moment with the asphalt. <laughs> and, um, you know, 
I said a bad word or two because it really, really hurt. Um, and so she comes up behind me and I'm bleeding from my left hand. I'm bleeding from my right arm. I'm bleeding from my right leg. Um, and I, at this point, I'm like, so I'm like 20, what did I, uh, 20 whatever yards or feet from the front door. I don't remember. But there's like half of that is the parking lot to the grass of my front yard. And I remember standing up and I said, you got to do it. And I got right back on the board <laughs> and I rode that last, you know, half the distance till I hit my grass. And then I hopped off and then I just went, huh, huh, huh. like I just carried it. And, and Kennedy's crying because she's never seen the human and asphalt interact in such a <laughs> intimate way. Um, and you know, it startled her. Like it startled me, sure. but she was like, she's never seen anything like that and nor heard the sound yeah. of human flesh meeting concrete. <laughs> so of course she didn't take a nap that day and she's hungry. So she's like crying cause she's upset because of what she saw. She's crying cause she's tired. She's crying cause she's hungry. And I'm trying to pick pieces of rock and dirt out of my open flesh and like pouring cold water over my wounds and trying to not bleed like in my kitchen. Um, and then I had to call the pastor of my church and I was like, Ken, I have a really bizarre question. Cause I realized I have no Neosporin and I have no hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> Cause as a dude, those are things you don't really think about needing until you need them. Yeah. And I shouldn't say as a dude, as me. I don't think about that stuff until it's like, you know, crisis. Oh, crap, I need this. And so, because he, he's, he'd been saying, like, anything you need, call me, anything you need. And I was like, all right, time to step up to the plate, Ken. Um, so I said, I have a really bizarre question for you. Like, I'm holding the phone in between my cheek and my shoulder, like, washing my open wounds in the sink while my kid is screaming. I was like, I just need hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> and so he drove over and brought me hydrogen peroxide and neosporin. And, oh, that's cool. And I fed my child and I cleaned my wounds. And I had forgotten that hydrogen peroxide burns. In my mind, yeah. it just bubbled. So I poured it all down my, the, the rash and the open wounds on my, on my forearm. And it felt like my skin was on fire. Which means that it's working. Yeah. Um, but all that to say, Kennedy got fed, put to bed. Oh, no, we recorded. We would have recorded Tuesday last week, so it was the following day. Yeah. So I had, I had recovered from my trauma, uh, some of it anyway. <laughs> some of it. Um, but, yeah, it was, an eventful, it was an eventful week for me. So thanks for indulging me and letting me sort of share all of that. <laughs> How are you? Besides one. Great. Yeah. No, it's. Yeah. We're good on our end. So. I am glad for that. Thank you. So we are. Well, we're in the last chapter of James, but I want to, I want to make a quick plug here before we fully transition to our main topic for the night. Uh, there's a book that I've been reading by one Timothy Keller. You may have heard of him. And it's called Making Sense of God. I think I've mentioned it on the show maybe in passing, perhaps. Um, but the subtitle is Finding God in the Modern World. And it's Keller's most... Well, so he wrote the book, The Reason for God 
which is a very, you know, logic and reason based approach for why faith in God at least has merit and isn't as, um, what's the word, ridiculous as, um, you know, postmodern people would like to uh, assume. But this book is very focused on taking the stances of current American culture and what they say is true, what they say is false, um, and really kind of exposing a lot of the double standards that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, that the 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 inclusive, um, you know, do your own thing. Truth is relative. You do you. I'll do me. As long as you're not doing harm to anybody, then you can be whatever you want to be. You can. You can self-identify, and you, the only per, in fact, not only can you self-identify, the only person who can tell you your actual identity is you, um, mm. and all of that, and how that itself is is built on exclusivity, and it's just a shift of who the bad guys are and who the good guys are, um, and and so many um, so many other topics about what the modern quest and definition for self is versus what the Bible says self is and how the modern approach to defining self and finding self uh, is inherently flawed in so, so many ways uh, versus what, not only what tradition taught us. So he, he, this, and this is what, what I often find true about a lot of Christianity is, you know, I don't know. You, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, Dave, the third way, like Jesus uh-huh. is God of the third way. Like there's, there's, you know, this way, there's that way. And then there's some third way that is not necessarily a compromise of the two, but an altogether different option that humans often don't choose because of, you know, reasons. And so what, what he, he doesn't pretend that Christian, the history of Christianity is perfect. There's a, there is myriad examples in the history of the church where religion has been used for oppression and violence and selfish gain. And he acknowledges those as wrong, right? And so it, w- w- what is great is he'll take the traditional view of things, point out its flaws, take the modern view of things, point out its flaws, and then point towards the way of God and Jesus and show how it answers the flaws in the other approaches, but also um, does what the right things that those things do better. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't completely slam postmodernism because the, the amount of good that has come out of human, um, the, the human value found in postmodernism, right? Like traditional view would be slavery and oppression and staying in your class or your caste, depending on, you know, your cultural um, context. And if you were born a, a potter, you will stay a potter because that's what you do and that's where you fit in the system. And because of things like the Enlightenment back in the day and even more so the postmodern movement of individuality, there are certain negative things that have come about it which I think are pretty obvious, 
But the other viewpoint is that the value of human life, unless you're, you know, a fetus, has been valued more for minorities and for uh, women. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But is it is it still 1600? No. Mm-hmm. So he tries to balance the bad and the good of the postmodern view worldview and like the more traditional worldview, but also compare it against what, what God would say is, is the right way. And it's, it's really, really, really well done. I think I did a mediocre job explaining some of it, but like without just reading quotes for the next 30 minutes, (laughs) I think that is a good summation. I will just, Real quick, just share some of the chapter titles so you get a better idea of what it's about. There's um, three parts to the book. Part one is why does anyone need religion? Part two is religion is more than you think it is. And part three is Christianity makes sense. Mm. Which there's a hook for people to think that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, <laughs> isn't well, Some of the chapter titles, isn't religion based on faith and secular, secularism on evidence? Um, and then chapter three is a meaning that suffering can't take from you, which is a cue to the fact that postmodernism and the current, so like I, there's postmodernism and then there's like kind of what we're living in now, which is like post postmodernism. And there's, uh, I forget what the term is, but essentially modern secularists don't have a way to process suffering in a way that has meaning yet suffering exists for everybody to some extent. But Christians have not only the vocabulary, but Jesus, who suffered for us, yes, yet without sin, as it says in Hebrews 4. So we have a context for suffering and a meaning we can derive from it. And then a satisfaction that is not based in circumstances, um, an identity that doesn't crush you or exclude others, a hope that can face anything, a justice that does not create new oppressors. Anyways, it's really good. I highly suggest it. It's like without all of the end notes, which there are, that's one of the things I love about Keller is how well-read he is and how knowledgeable he is of things outside of Christianity. Like his knowledge of classic literature and of theater and of pop culture is really, really admirable for someone in his position. There's 70 pages of endnotes. Oh, wow. So, I mean, like, it's, it's just, it's impeccably done. And it's like 250-some pages um, to actually read. I, anyways, I recommend it. Five stars, two thumbs up, all that <laughs> sort of stuff. So that's that. Well, I am definitely going to check it out as I think it sounds like, like, is it, when was it published this year or? Uh, Either 2019 or 2020. It just seems to fit with just. Oh gosh, no, 2016. Holy cow. Wow. I thought it was, I thought it was last year. Yeah. 2016 is when it came out. It sounds very applicable to our world today and. Very much a, it seems like you have to choose one side or the other. 
And I don't feel like people are really choosing God's, as you said, the third option. Well, no, because, well, never mind. I was going to make a snide comment and I stopped. <laughs> um, and what you just said there about picking sides, like the election is in four months, three months, four months. It's in November, right? Mm-hmm. So a little over three months. And silly Tim Keller made a recommendation on Twitter for a book. And you know me, Dave. Politics, not my jam. Genuinely, they make me upset. Right. And he recommended a book. Said it was the best book he's ever read on the topic. And I like I like me, Tim Keller, and his opinions on things because I think he's incredibly well balanced. I think mm-hmm. he's very smart. I think he is honest about the truth. And I just I appreciate his um his candid nature about things. And so it's a book mm-hmm. called Political Visions and Illusions, a survey and Christian critique of contemporary ideologies. And it's the second edition. It's not going to be here until August 25th because Amazon. I don't know why. It's going to take over a month to get here, which is fine because I have plenty of other books to read. Um, but I started reading it. Uh, you get the free Kindle version when you buy it on Amazon now, I guess. Or maybe mm-hmm. they gave it to me because it's going to take a month to get here. I, I didn't really know. But it's essentially trying to understand why certain groups of people marry their politics and their religion so inseparably that you can't tell where one starts and where one begins, uh, whether that be super liberal or super conservative, right? But it's... I'm really excited to read it. It's like 330 pages, though, um, and it's about politics, so it's going to take me a while to get through, I think. Mm-hmm. But just having having the research done for me, having the arguments made, having this, the vocabulary um, accessible, I think will be a very helpful thing for me, especially with the students in my youth group mm-hmm. who... You know, I've had one kid, he's like, I can't talk to my parents about politics because all they do is watch Fox News. <laughs> and he goes, and if I say anything that doesn't fall in line with what Fox News says, I just get. And so, because like we were talking about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement post the death of or the killing of George Floyd. And, you know, we spent a couple of weeks in the group just really digging into what does that mean? What does it look like? Not just in general, but like in our town. And our town is, I think it's like, uh, like 40% white, like 35% black, like 30% Hispanic. And then the rest is like, you know, Indian or East Asian. Um, there's a, re- like, it's a pretty diverse uh, city. And so what does that look like? And, and he, was just, he was just so frustrated because, like, he didn't know how to even broach the subject with his parents. You know, and he's, he's a mixed kid, um, white and Vietnamese. So he even has that to deal with of, you know, not fitting the Asian kids mm-hmm. or the white kids. Um, and so I'm just excited for that book to help me better understand 
the concepts and the reasons why someone would be so um, gung-ho about their political view and make it about Jesus at the same time, which doesn't ever make sense to me, but also the ability to have those conversations with my students knowing that someone way smarter than me has done a bunch of really, really good work and published his second version. They've updated. I think the first one came out in like 06 maybe or maybe late nineties, but they've updated it Mm -hmm. for the current climate. Um, And I'm just really excited that resources like this exist so that I can be a better, I can understand better what's going on. I can, I can have more empathy for people that I think, hold religion and politics way too close together, especially if I disagree with their politics. (laughs) Um, So hopefully I can gain empathy and understanding, and then that will cause me to back off on a lot of my comments that I say under my breath towards people like that, but then also use it to help my students understand. Because for a decent chunk of my students, the next election they'll be able to vote. Oh, wow. (laughs) Not this one, but the next one, most of them will be. And so being able to process that sort of stuff with them this time with a better foundation for it is something I'm excited about. Cool. That was supposed to be like a 30-second <laughs> section of like, hey, here's a good book. Um, but we all, know, we all know me. If I get excited, I don't <laughs> shut up. I just talk. So. Thanks for hanging All good. In. No, it was all very good. I don't know. I've like recently, like, this is going to sound so cheesy. I've like recently fallen back in love with reading, Dave. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, I've read like what, 80 pages in the last four days, which for someone who reads, they're like, I do that in yeah. an hour. <laughs> well, but like, I probably haven't read 80 pages in the last four months. So it's a big step for me. Um, but like I, I, I've always loved books and I used to read all the time, all the time, but I got super away from it. Like quarantine, you know, I went into it with good intentions and I just played video games and ate pizza. Like, <laughs> so anyways, I'm, I'm finding, I, I have refound the, the intellectual rigor of reading books be mm-hmm. very, um, stimulating, very enjoyable. So if I talk more about books on the show in the future, it's, it's because, um, I don't know. I feel like perhaps God has lit a fire under my butt in a few places in my life. And one of those is, is how I spend my time and what I do with it and what I desire to do, uh, on this show with my students in my personal life, what goals I have. Um, and I think reading is a foundation for all of those. And I'm, I read for an hour and a half last night in like prime video game time. And I was like, I'm so happy I'm reading. I'm so happy I'm reading. Yes. Things are changing, Dave. Good. Very cool. Shall we read from another book? Perhaps the one we came here to discuss? (laughs) We could do that. All right. So we're at James 5. We're going to do verses 1 through 6. 
Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. All right. Uh, what do we say about James and not pulling punches? Yeah, exactly. All right. So we have, how do you say, um, it's pretty, I think, safe to say that Jesus has strong opinions about rich people and the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe the phrase is it's easier for the, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter heaven. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, being the, you know, the wannabe disciple I am, I want to be like, well, what's the line for rich? How much does one <laughs> have to make a year in order to be called a rich? Um, because... Uh, you know, I know that a camel cannot pass through the eye of a needle because physics. Mm-hmm. And I also know that while I'm not wealthy, I make, especially for now a single guy, pretty good money. And I know that I like nice things. And I know that I like to spend money mm-hmm. to have nice things because I enjoy them, but also I think because where I grew up, having nice things was a status symbol. Not where, everywhere having nice things is a status symbol, not just where I grew up. But I think because where I grew up, and because, like, my parents made good money, but, like, I had a friend who had a convertible Mustang on his 16th birthday. <laughs> but I also went to school with kids that drove Mercedes and Land Rovers and BMWs. Mm-hmm. I didn't, not only did I not get a car, I, have, I didn't own a car until after I graduated grad school. Because I was cheap. I didn't want to, <laughs> and cars are expensive, right? But like we, we, we always had more than we ever needed. We always lived in a nice house. My mom let me drive her car whenever I wanted to. You know, we went on, we went on vacations. We were very, very comfortable. But when you live in a place where very, very comfortable is maybe... 30% of what other people have, you learn very quickly how nice things differentiate people. 
mm-hmm. be it cars or homes or vacation homes or trophy wives or, you know, what have you, right? Tennis courts, pools, jacuzzis, boats, jet skis, like the, the idea of opulence and showing what you have to other people. Um, And so I'm very, I think, self-conscious about money and about what it's spent on and how it's saved and how it's invested and this, that, and the other thing. And so when I hear Jesus and, and hear James talking about, you know, being rich and dealing, you know, with, with finances and, and all of the things that accompany that, it just, it makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. How, where, where, where am I on this scale? Am I going to be the one weeping and howling for the miseries that are coming upon me because right. I have a good job that affords me nice things? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. And like, I think part of it's about generosity and motivation. Like there's no, I think there's no sin in having a good job that pays you well. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the motivation for why you seek that salary and what you do with it. Sure. But I don't know. I'm just, it's passages like this are very, um, the word, they're conflicting for me, Dave. They cause inner turmoil. Yeah. And cause me to question a lot of stuff. Not just like, am I safe? But also, what am I doing with the resources that I have? Sure. And usually the answer is spending it on myself. Or saving it. (laughs) Or saving it so that I can spend it on myself or my daughter at a later date should the need arise. Which is a wise thing to do. But where's the generosity, right? Where's the Mm -hmm. giving? Where's the sacrifice? And that's, I think, particularly for me, hard to navigate. Yeah. Um, So I was trying to find this somewhere, but it's not quickly coming to me of, you know, basically if you live in America... And you make $40,000 a year. Um, I, and I, it's not coming up, but really $40,000 a year and living in America, you are, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And well, crap. <laughs> I can't, I'll, I'll continue to look for this and see if I can't come up with it. But um, yeah, it's pretty humbling when you, realize just how well off we are. And then if you take it over the course of all of history, then it's like our, you know, (laughs) it's even higher in terms of um, where we land. Um, So yeah, it, it's, um, it's kind of humbling when you realize, wow, I really do fall into what would be considered rich or wealthy um, 
And and it's like you said, you know, it's having money in and of itself is not um, necessarily the issue. It certainly is the um, what do I do with my money? What is my focus on? And um, and even even as I say that, I know for me personally, it really is kind of a well, that didn't really help much at all. You know, <laughs> I, I certainly like you said, and and it's not like. And again, even even as I say that, it's not like I'm spending it on frivolous things, but it is certainly focused on my comfort and making my life better or or easier and not so much on um, living uh, without or making sacrifices or providing for others. So... Yeah, we're kind of on the hook in terms of when it comes to having money. Well, let's read on, shall we? <laughs> Says your riches have rotted, your garments are mothy. So, okay, so I, what? I, what I assume James is getting at here with this whole passage is the the concept of storing up treasures in heaven versus treasures in earth, right? And mm-hmm. the whole concept in like. Uh, Ecclesiastes, where he says, you know, all these things I have amassed and I have to leave them for someone who didn't earn them. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I do all this work. I toil under the sun for decades and I build all of these things. I gain this wisdom. I gain this money. I gain this experience. And then when I'm dead, I can't do anything with it. I just have to leave it. Um, And so I think that's what James is getting at here when he says, like, your riches are rotted and your garments are mothy. Like, yeah, great. You got stuff now. It it doesn't last. Mm-mm. You don't last. Nope. Nor does it. Which is I don't know, there's like there's like two schools of thought there, right? Well, if it doesn't last, then I should either just spend it all now and have a really good time and live it up and enjoy everything that I have, or I should give it to other people mm-hmm. to make their lives more tolerable. And, I, you know, one is selfish and one is selfless. Yeah. Says your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Yikes. Yeah. Hello. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Uh Uh-oh. You have lived on the earth in luxury self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person not that okay that he does not resist you part who's he who's he god the righteous person it's not like i don't know i don't have the greek and even if i did it's been 10 (laughs) years since i studied it so scratch that 12 oh my gosh I guess it's the righteous person. Interesting. 
what I think is interesting um, about uh, verse four is like even in the midst of James kind of laying out the future of, Mm -hmm. you know, people that are dependent upon their riches for their, for their meaning, for their purpose, for their value. Um, is that even in the midst of that, as they, you know, for all intents and purposes, screw people over, you kept back money, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field and harvested it. Even, even in the midst of calling these people out, he still can't help but say, oh, but yeah, but their cries are heard by the Lord. Like even, even in the condemnation he's putting on these rich people, he still can't help but share Mm-hmm. That God hears the cries of His people and those that have been wronged, and those that have lived a very hard life, and those that you know are poor or meek, or we can even get the beatitudes here, right? Um, people that have been, that are downtrodden, that have been trampled on by self-aggrandizing, you know, important people, you know. Serious air quotes there on important. <laughs> I just, I just, because like he doesn't have to put that there. Mm-hmm. Like the the sole purpose of this is to call rich people out and say, you know what? You've put all of your eggs in this basket and that basket's about to get burned up. And because of that, so will you. So he doesn't have to mention the fact that the cries of the people that have been trampled on by this person that represents, you know, a whole slew of people. God hears those people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important because it serves, it serves as a bit of a teaser for what's coming next in verses seven and forward. He says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives uh, the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord uh, is mm-hmm. at hand. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it on these people here. I'm gonna let you know God hears you, and then after I've put these people in their place, I'm gonna focus on you and what's coming and what God is doing. Um, I just, it's just really clever writing, <laughs> and I appreciate. It. Yeah. Cause he doesn't have to put it in there and the next section would still make sense, but he just leaves it in there. as like a little, like a breadcrumb for what's coming next. And I just little stuff like that. I appreciate it. Makes me want to be a better podcaster and a better writer <laughs> when I see stuff like that, you know, especially like in like TV shows. I mean, one, the Bible duh, right. But like in TV shows and movies where like you don't notice it, and then it happens in the show like two or three episodes later, and you're like, oh my gosh, they totally, oh, the they foreshadowing. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just something simple and innocuous. And then maybe even like a season later, it becomes important. And you're just like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Not really the point of this episode. I just wanted to <laughs> point out, you know, I have a microphone and opinions, so I will share them. Yes. So, yeah, you know, I think um, it it just, it really is, um, this to me is just one of those things that Christians don't like to talk about um, 
materialism, materialism being an issue, an issue. You Let's know, get more specific, Dave. White people in the suburbs <laughs> don't like to talk about this stuff. Yeah, that, that is probably. I mean, let's, but let's, because like that's where we're at culturally right now, right? Yeah. This is this is not necessarily just about rich versus poor. This is about education and privilege mm-hmm. and a system working in your favor over and against those that it is not. Right. And in the context that this was written, it was for different people. But the, the concepts and the constructs are the same as they are today, just in a different place in a different time for a different set of people with different colored skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talked about this last week, I was like, I don't really know if how to handle this. Because, mm-hmm. like, we're two educated white guys from the suburbs that have good jobs. And now, that being said, you have been a police officer for 20 years? I mean, I'm in my 19th year. In 19. So that position and that responsibility has certainly allowed you to see many facets of society. Mm-hmm. Many different people from many different, you know, ethnic backgrounds, skin colors, education levels, like the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have a you have a perspective there that most people oh say on your street don't have. Sure. Um, which is I think to your benefit. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I read this story, I'm reading it from the perspective of the rich person who's getting the doomsday message. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who lives in my town, three houses down from me on the same street, is reading this passage, and they're the laborer in the field who hasn't gotten paid. Sure. And is crying out injustice and is praying that God is going to show up and change that and right the wrong. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's my greater conflict not not the selfish conflict of am i the rich person or am i not and am i okay like how many times must i forgive him god seven no oh, 70 times seven. Oh <laughs> crap yeah i'm the rich guy in this scenario right and i don't want to be because that means consequences and expectations right it's kind of like the passage where it says um it talks about teachers of the bible how they're going to be held to a higher standard mm-hmm well, crap, I'm held to a higher standard, (laughs) you know? Um, And it's just, it's fascinating to me that I read this and because of, you know, where I was born, when I was born, to who I was born, to the skin of the color I was born in, to the educational opportunities I had, to honestly, like, the brains that I was given by God, I was able to, like... Society was working for my in my favor in every possible way, mm-hmm. in every possible way, through no merit on my end. And the fact that I can read this passage, and I read it from that perspective, and literally someone, a family three doors down from me, can read it, and they're reading it from the perspective of the person who's 
working in the field and harvesting and is crying out. Like, that is the bigger conviction to me on this passage of, I just immediately assume I'm the rich guy. And that, that is very telling mm-hmm. about my life experience and my perspective on how things are and how the world works. And I think that in this, in the midst of what's going on in my personal life that I shared about earlier, in the midst of what's going on in, in our communal life over the past few months with the, the um, quarantine, right? But then you add on top of that, finally, what seems to be the breaking point with the, you know, the racial injustice specifically surrounding, you know, police and black men and, and occasionally black women being killed. Like there seems to be, we, we seem to be at like a, a breaking point. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that people have said that 20 times in the last, <laughs> uh, you know, century. Yeah that we're at a breaking point, right? Martin Luther King was the breaking point. Malcolm X was the breaking point. The entire civil rights movement was a breaking point. And yet, and yet, 10 years later, and yet, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And I just, I don't know. I am obviously way more aware now than I was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, three months ago. But it's one thing to say, oh, I'm aware that there's someone three doors down from me that would read this from the perspective of the other people in the story. Well, yeah, okay, great. Intellectually, I can wrap my head around that someone has a different perspective. But like, how do I learn from that person so that I can gain a better understanding of what that actually means and how that impacts what they do and how they think and how they process their, cause I don't know. And I can't know right now. Mm-hmm. Like, so the step is I acknowledge, yes, hmm, someone else may have this perspective, but that, what good is that? Right? Sure it comes down to trying to learn. And I'll never, like, I can't ever know what it's like to be a black man in America. I can't know what it's like to be a a Hispanic man in America. I can't know what it's like to be an immigrant. Even though my grandparents immigrated here, I was born and raised as a white guy in the suburbs. Mm Mm-hmm but it doesn't mean that I can't try and learn from people that I've had other experiences and try and see the assumptions uh, that I make and the, uh, what's the word? The conveniences that are there for me that are not there for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, um, one of the things I've become very, well, I don't know, that's probably, one of the things that I have learned is just 
particularly after World War II um, and the development of suburbs, just the amount of effort that went into keeping black African-Americans from being able to live in a lot of those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and for the families that stayed in the city, they made Christian schools so that yeah. their white kids could go to school <laughs> with each other. You know, in uh, Kansas City, it's it's fairly well known that that truce was the dividing line. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, there are actual maps that exist to this, you know, that aren't that far, that aren't that difficult to come across of, you know, Kansas City being divided, that you did not sell homes uh, to people um, east of Troost. Um, or was it west? I don't know, one side or the other. Uh, and so just to kind of even, you know, when when people get offended by the idea of having privilege, you know, you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. And so um, I think it's what what you said of just we need to make an effort to learn from other people, ask questions, uh, realize that we can live with blinders on, and that while our life may not feel like we have privilege, you know, because life is hard, just period. It doesn't matter who mm-hmm. you are. Our existence here in a fallen world is not easy. Uh and so, you know, I don't want to minimize anybody's experience, but the reality is, is open yourself up to the idea that there are people that probably had it worse uh, or do have it worse uh, than you do. And um, that there is a real possibility that you were not part of a group that was intentionally kept out of, you know, certain neighborhoods or uh, intentionally had, you know, laws made to make their life, uh, more difficult, uh, particularly in different parts around, um, this country that we live in. So, um, just as a side note, there was a website called that I couldn't find. It used to be called the, the global rich list, and I don't think it exists anymore. Um, but I did find a couple other of those and, and anybody can Google this stuff in just terms of where you are in, in terms of wealth. Conservatively, if you make $40,000 a year and live in a household of two adults, two kids, this is conservatively, even in 2020, you are still richer than 80% of the world. Oh boy. So if you make That's $40,000 $40, for total income, 40,000 total income for a family of four in this country, you are still richer than 80% of the people that live in the world. Wow. Yeah. That's hard to wrap my head around. (laughs) No, it really is. So. You know, and and just even, you know, even I think about just even in my lifetime, the way we handle money or even things, you know, I mean, a TV was a major purchase when I was a little kid. And and basically, I remember kind of 1982, 83, 84. So basically, you know, I was like 11, 12, 13. Um, 
I just remember like a TV being a major purchase. And then I remember getting a VCR and, you know, the TV that we replaced as, you know, preteen for me was basically the TV I'd remember having my entire life up until that point. And, you know, it just seems like we, we replace things so quickly, you know, for something in terms of technology to last five years, you know, I just think of all the different things that we have, TVs, phones, computers, and that sort of thing. It seems like very few things make it past that five-year mark anymore. Uh, maybe major appliances. There. What? So that's how they get you. Yeah. You know, maybe major appliances, TV, uh, washer and dryer, refrigerator, those sorts of things go longer than that. But, um, yeah, you know, something that you bought five years ago, it really is kind of obsolete. You almost can't use it. Um, we've become such a disposable society. So, anyway. Disposable society. <laughs> the name of my next uh, emo album, Dave. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, so I, you know, I think the, I, I think it really does just come down to just, you know, being submissive to God and just realizing what we have and just really giving it to him and allowing him to use it and not to hold so tightly to things because they really do. They fail us. Um, you know, we've, we've been in our house for five years now and it's just funny the number of things that are starting to break and have to be replaced and. You know, just even caulking the outside of the house after five years. I mean, we have leaks all over the place, and they're not terrible. And, you know, it's not like we're destroying our house. But I'm like, man, there's a lot of work that goes with having this house that's only five <laughs> years old. So. Well, they don't things, make them things, like they used to, Dave. No, that is definitely true. And things just don't, do not fulfill like God does. True. I think that's a good statement to end on. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can take a hint. Anyways, that's <laughs> the end of this episode of the Masterclass, episode 165, title of which is yet to be determined. So if you want show notes, you can look in your podcast app of choice. They're going to be there. Also, you can go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 165 and the links to all the good stuff will be there including links to say hello either on twitter or instagram for me or email uh also a phone number if you want to call into the show we would love to um, put your question or your comment uh, on the show to share with um the rest of the uh folks that listen and thus concludes the business Yes. Farewell. Bye. <laughs>